Good morning. Happy Father's Day. I'm Pastor Allen. We're glad that you joined us this morning. If you're a dad, the best you can do is be number two because I'm number one. I've got proof. All right. One of my children gave me this. You probably have some of those Father's Day gifts too, right? Pull it out once a year. That's about it. Anyway, my wife reminded me I had this shirt, so she asked me to wear it. But we're glad that you're here. We've been in a series about building strong families, uh, talking about values, and we've been using God's top ten list, Ten Commandments as kind of a jumping off point. Probably the most important one is the first commandment. We came up with this conclusion. Put God first where I want to succeed, and He'll provide what I need. In this case, fathers, got to put Him first, and He'll provide what you need. All of us are inadequate in some respects, and God can... Uh, fill in our ad- inadequacies and provide for our kids. and So they'll turn out better than they should or we deserve uh, because of God's grace. So uh, a couple weeks ago we talked about values are caught, not taught. It's really important for dads especially. It doesn't matter what you tell your kids. They're going to watch what you do and they're going to mimic or imitate you. So that's a big responsibility I know. And we're not perfect, but we need to be consistent because they're going to catch what we teach by our actions. Then last week, we talked about another important principle. Truth builds trust. Really important to be truthful and honest uh, in all your dealings, but especially with your kids, because it builds trust, and trust is the key to relationships. And of course, life (laughs) is built around relationships. Good relationships, good life, bad relationships, not so good life. So that was last week. This week we got a new topic. It's actually the last of the top ten, but it's still in the top ten. And it's about learning to be content. Are you content? What is it to mean to be content? Would you like to be more content? I, I certainly would. How could I, how can you, or how can I be more content? There's certain areas of my life that I'm more contented than others. Other areas I struggle with a little more. Probably you two too. Uh, we're talking about, talking about being complacent though. Uh, that's a uh, deadbeat dads, complacent dads. That's a really bad thing for any of us to be complacent. But we need to be content. We had a kind of cool experience this week. Uh, I was working on my deck, and it's not too far from the road. And I live on a gravel road, and people, I get as many pedestrians as I do cars usually. And this young guy ran by I'd never seen before. So he waved, and I waved, and I went back to work, and about a minute later, I look up, and he's in my yard introducing himself. He says, hey, I'm Hal. Uh, nice to meet you. I'm new to the area. And I said, hey, uh, I'm a runner, too. Would you like to run sometime? I'll go in the house and get my phone number, give it to you. And he said, sure. And so we get in the house. Of course, Deb's there, and we start up this conversation. And if you know my wife, she invited him to stay for dinner. And if you're a 20-year-old guy living by yourself, if somebody invites you to dinner, what do you do? You go to dinner, right? And so he stayed for dinner, and, and uh, we fed him. We kept feeding him. 20-year-olds eat a lot, even though he's a thin guy. Finally, my wife said, can I get you anything else? And we fed him dessert and everything. And she says, no. In fact, here was his comment, his response. I'm beyond content. Isn't that a wonderful response? I'm beyond content. I, my, my stomach is full uh, with this, all this, this great food. Uh, nice guy. He's 20 years old, already graduated from college. Uh, he's kind of being a caretaker at one of our neighbor's houses. And I uh, actually went by one other day this week. So I'm looking forward to get to know him uh, a little bit better. But contentment. Are you beyond content? I can't say that 
most of the time for me, my life. Maybe after that meal, I was content, more beyond content too. So contentment, we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, survey of teenage girls, 93% said their favorite pastime, favorite activity was shopping. 93%. That's higher than dating or anything else. Their favorite thing is to shop. So in our culture, it's a hard thing to be content, isn't it? They said we're going to base this on uh, one of the Ten Commandments, and uh, this, this one is the tenth one. Do not desire to possess anything that belongs to another person. Uh, some translations, older translations, the word covet. Do not desire to possess things that are not yours. I'll give you a definition of covet this morning. To the uncontrolled desire to acquire. The uncontrolled desire to acquire. Is it bad to want to acquire? No, that's part of the way God made us. We even see it in nature. Squirrels go around collecting nuts, right? They're acquiring nuts uh, for their survival. You and I need to acquire things for our survival. The need to acquire, desire to acquire is nothing wrong. In fact, it's good. It's part of uh, necessity of life. But anything uncontrolled is not good, right? Uh, any, any uncontrolled desire to eat can cause us health issues, right? Uncontrolled desire to do anything can, can be bad, can be, be, be an issue. Certainly the uncontrolled desire to acquire. God simply says some things are just off limits. Some things you shouldn't have. Some things you shouldn't do. And secondly, some things are actually harmful to you. Uh, overindulging in almost anything. It's harmful to you. That's off limits. You shouldn't, I shouldn't do that. Even though I might desire to do it. Again, our culture makes it difficult, doesn't it? It's hard to resist that four-letter word, S-A-L-E, isn't it? My wife will come home and say, I got it on sale. And I'll say, well, we can't, wouldn't it cost us anything if you hadn't bought it? <laughs> but no, I mean, good thing to make, you know, save money, get things on sale. But, you know, I, my response is, they're always on sale. Everything's always on sale, right? And we get catalogs in the mail, and it's, it's the job of Madison Avenue to make you and I covetous, right? Desire to have more stuff. So it's hard really hard in our culture to resist that. Now, let me share first with you some negative effects or consequences of having uncontrolled desires. Number one is fatigue. Unless you're going to steal it, and we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, we don't want to steal stuff. So if, unless you're going to steal it, to acquire stuff takes money, right? And how do you get money? Got to work for it. So you and I can wear ourselves out working to, to acquire stuff, Right? More and more stuff, bigger stuff, newer stuff. We can get tired. Even if it's something you collect. My wife collects our little teapots and tea sets, and some of you do that too. And she doesn't have a whole lot of them. I don't, we wouldn't have space for them. But she doesn't spend hours looking online for this stuff. She just doesn't. But you may. It, it can wear you out just looking for this stuff, trying to find it cheaper, etc., etc. So fatigue is, a, is a, an effect uh, if it's uncontrolled. Secondly, uh, debt, debt. Obviously, <laughs> if you're getting stuff, it costs money. And unfortunately, the majority of Americans spend more money than they make. Doesn't make sense to me, but, that, that, but they do. Why would you do that? Well, it's simply because you want stuff you can't afford. Right? Very few of you, if any of you, 
buy the stuff because you need it. You don't go into debt because you need it. It's because you want it. All right, we think our problem is we don't make enough money. The real problem is we have too big of wants. Or somebody said they're not needs, but they're greeds. And it's important to figure out the difference between needs and greeds. You know, the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. It also costs more. They had to water it, they had to fertilize it, etc. So we need to keep in mind that needs are different than greeds. And from my perspective, one of the problems with debt is it hurts God's work. It hurts ministry. If you're in, in, in debt, you can't support the ministry, this ministry or any other ministry uh, of God as, as you would like. So debt's a problem. Uh, another thing, if we don't control our desire to acquire, is worry. Interesting thing about stuff. We want more stuff, but the more stuff you have, the more you worry about stuff. Uh, your focus becomes on the stuff. <laughs> uh, in fact, they said the person that they say that the people that make more money have the have more cases of insomnia. So, the, when your income level goes up, your insomnia goes up. We would think it would be the opposite, right? I've got more money, I've got less worries. It's just the opposite. So where is your focus? Hopefully not on the stuff. Another issue or, or bad effect, negative effect, is conflict. Number one cause of conflict in marriage is finances. So if, you're, if your finances are out of control because of desires and covetedness, then you're going to have issues. Um, if you want, you know, some other car, you want somebody else's house, you want somebody else's spouse, that's even worse, uh, somebody else's job. Um, God says don't do that. Even if we have this kind of, oh, I wish my wife or my spouse was more like so-and-so. That's a discontentment, isn't it? You're not happy with the way that person is. Contentment, really important. And then the last kind of sums it all up is dissatisfaction. Are you just dissatisfied with your lot in life, where you are, what you're doing. Not that we shouldn't desire to, to, to do better and, and, and get ahead, but is it all about things? Uh, things do not satisfy. It didn't satisfy for long. You know, there's a big thrill when you first get something new, but it wears out. It gets old. Why does it not satisfy? It's because we like change. We don't like the same things all the time. <laughs> My wife often say, hey, what, what do you want to have for dinner? And I said, my common response is something we hadn't had for a while, something different. I don't like to eat the same things all the time. You probably don't either, all right? So we redecorate and we remodel because we have to know because we get tired. My wife moves furniture around. You guys do that? Move furniture around. Perfectly fine where it was, but we like change. So things don't bring satisfaction. What about Christmas gifts? Great to get Christmas gifts. Do you remember what you got for Christmas last Christmas? If you do remember, I honestly can't tell you what I got. Does it still bring you the thrill it got when you open the package? No, because things don't satisfy. Now, this being Father's Day, I thought we needed a good laugh about fathers, so I'm going to show you uh, a humorous video about being a dad. I uh, recently became a father. Thank you. Became a father for the fourth time. Never as much applause on that part. <laughs> really no applause, right? Because after the third kid, people stop congratulating you. <laughs> then they just treat you like you're Amish. <laughs> Four? Well, that's one way to live your life. 
can you build us one of those wood fireplaces? Four kids. Four kids. If you want to know what it's like to have a fourth, just imagine you're drowning. And then someone hands you a baby. The good news is we live in a two-bedroom apartment, so I fought it through. I haven't slept in seven years. I didn't always look like this. I'm actually Puerto Rican. But the wear and tear of parents... I used to have thick black hair. I was muy guapo. No mas. No more guapo. My wife had the baby at home. We had all our babies at home just to make you feel uncomfortable. People don't want to hear about home birth. They're like, oh, you had your baby at home. Yeah, we were going to do that, but we wanted our baby to live. People always assume there was some laziness involved. You, you didn't want to go to the hospital? It was far. I didn't feel like putting on pants. We had our baby at home, not in a field. At home? Well, why wouldn't you have it in that germ-infested building where sick people congregate? Didn't your wife want to give birth in a gown someone died in yesterday? It's just the truth. Home birth is crazy, huh? It was all my wife's idea. I don't even like cooking at home, you know? And it's wild, you know? There was so much screaming at one point, I actually woke up. Oh, did someone want to score a touchdown? Oh, you're having another baby? Can you keep it down? I'm trying to get a tight 12 hours in. And I was my wife's birth coach, which is a generous title for standing there terrified. There was also a midwife there, because we believe in witchcraft. A midwife? Now, how many wives does this guy have? Sounds like Al-Qaeda. All right, I couldn't share the whole clip with me here all day, but <laughs> I have four kids, if some of you don't know, so I, I can somewhat relate. Anyway, we're going to look at something uh, Paul wrote, uh, wrote a lot of the New Testament, started some churches, and uh, then he would write back to these churches. Actually, we're going to read something he wrote to kind of this guy he's mentoring, a leader, and possibly at this time he was pastoring or working in the church in Ephesus, which he had started earlier. But in a letter he wrote to someone, uh, another church, the Philippians, Paul made this comment, I've learned to be content. Are you and I naturally content? That's the bad news. You're not, we're not naturally content. We're naturally discontented. We're naturally envious. We're naturally covetous. But the good news is what? We can learn it. It's something that's learnable. It's not something you either have or you don't. So Paul says, I've learned it. I've learned to be content when I have a lot. I've learned to be content when I have a little. And he experienced both of those things. And so that's an encouragement to you and I that we can learn it. <clears throat> So we're going to write, read uh, part of what he wrote to Timothy as he was mentoring him. There's a lot of neat stuff in, in this letter, but this is in the last chapter, chapter 6. Actually, he wrote two letters. This is the first one. It begins by saying, true godliness with contentment 
is itself great wealth. So you want to be a wealthy person? You don't have to have a big bank account. If you can be, learn godliness with contentment, you have the security, a better word, of having great wealth. Now, there's a form of godliness without contentment. So I'm not saying you're not a godly person if you're not contented, but kind of a higher level of godliness, uh, a more mature level, uh, is with contentment. In fact, that's the key for you and I to mature and to grow more like Christ is to be uh, content. Now, contentment is a great quality for everybody to have. If you're not a Jesus follower, we're glad you're here this morning. Um, you too can learn contentment. Uh, and it's a great value to you in, in, in your life and your fulfillment in life. So, goes on and says, after all, and follow logic here, I think we all understand this, not too complicated. We brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. Some of you are having children recently, you're going to have children, one of, some, one of you have just had a, a child, uh, arrives with nothing, right? Doesn't bring anything with it. And we can't certainly take anything visible with us when we die, other than there might be some other folks with us later. But we can't, so anything visible is of temporary value at best, right? Because you're not going to take it with you. So if you have enough food and clothing, let's be content. Right? Again, there's a difference between needs and wants. And probably everybody here <laughs> that was able to get here probably has more than what you need. Now, we all have wants, and there's nothing wrong with wants, as long as they're under control. But you have your needs met. So, you and I have no reason not to be content. Basically, we have two options, to be content or be a slave to our, our wants or our greeds. Only two options you have. And Paul is telling Timothy, hey, you've got enough food and, and clothing, and he's telling you and I the same thing, then you have reason to be content. Then he goes on, but people... There's the alternative, but people long to be rich, fall into temptation, and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires. All right? A lot of desires are foolish, a lot of desires are harmful, and if, you're not, if they're not in check, they can plunge you into ruin and destruction. Deb and I were at a picnic uh, last night with uh, <clears throat> a friend she went to high school with. There's a lot of people there, actually. And of course, in the middle of it, it started raining, but anyway... Long story short, the food was all inside the basement on a pool table. And another one of her friends was telling us this story. She said, I got a pool table in my basement. It's unfinished. I want to finish it off. I told my son he's got to get it out of there. If it's not out this summer, I'm going to burn it. But then she said this. He paid $14,000, $15,000 to have his custom-made pool table. And then he went and lost his house. They foreclosed on his house. Duh. Pool table, no house. That falls under foolish to me, right? So, what are you willing to do to get the stuff you want? Hopefully, it's not buy a pool table and sacrifice your house, all right? Hopefully, it's not um, changing your values. Hopefully, it's not uh, sacrificing your relationships. Then he goes on. This part is semi-familiar. Some people misquote this part. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Is money evil? We just took an offering. We put money in it. We didn't. Did you make it unevil? Justin just left. You know, you say, when he prayed over it, did it make it not evil? It wasn't evil to begin with, right? Money is not evil. 
It's a tool we use. But the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Gets you in all kinds of trouble. And some people, craving money, have wandered from the true faith. If you're not careful, if you're trying to follow Jesus, you can stop following Jesus because you're chasing after money. Wander from the true faith and pierce themselves with many sorrows. And of course, the result of going down that road is ultimately uh, not good, some kind of sorrow. <clears throat> so chasing after cars, chasing after money, chasing after houses, etc., etc. I think what he's trying to tell us here is the focus should be on loving God, loving God's work, loving God's people, loving all people, right? And not on stuff. Then he goes on to say, but you, Timothy, are a man of God, all right? And hopefully you're a person of God. So run from all these evil things, pursue righteousness and godly life along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. So it's not enough just to run from bad stuff. We need to run or pursue good stuff. Some people think Christianity is passive and weak and it's about not doing stuff, but it's very active. In fact, the next verse he talks about fighting and holding on strongly. It's about courage. They sang, earlier they sang about having courage, having strength. So what do you need to do? What do you need to run from? What do you and I need to pursue? And then we're going to skip down a few verses and he says this, teach those, all right, so if somebody's going to learn it, it's good if somebody teaches us, right? So he's telling Timothy, teach your folks this, teach those who are rich in this world. Now, who, who's he talking about? Somebody's just checked out, I'm not rich, right? That says people ride around on yachts. And if you've been around here long enough, you know I'll tell you this, you all are rich, top two or three percent, maybe top one percent, the world's population with your income, all right? And that's not if you make $100,000 a year. (laughs) So he's talking to you. He's talking to me. You are rich in this world. He says, don't be proud. Don't trust in your money, which is unreliable. Money is really unreliable, isn't it? Some of us experienced that. I went about five or six years ago and the stock market went way down. Our retirement funds went way down. You can't rely on it. Their trust, our trust, should be in God. Why? Well, he richly gives us all we need. Again, all of us have way more than we need. So he's richly given us. He, he wanted it. Like your, you dads, your parents want to give more, your kids more stuff than they need. God's given us more stuff than we need. All right? And he wants us to be thankful for that. Just like you want your kids to be thankful for what they have, not always wanting more. I want more. I want something else. Notice he says, for our enjoyment. So what you have, you should enjoy. Don't feel guilty for it. But our ultimate enjoyment is not in our stuff. Our ultimate enjoyment is the giver of the stuff. God wants us to focus on the giver, not the gifts. Just like, again, your kids. When you give them a gift, you don't want them to hug the gift. They want, you want them to hug you, right? For giving them the gift. And since we are wealthy, with wealth comes responsibility. So you and I are responsible. God is watching us. When you say, hey, are you making wise choices uh, with those resources? 
Or are we greedy, covetous, uh, jealous? Then he goes on. Tell them to use their money to do good. You don't want to just put it in a bank. Use it. Use it for what? Use it to do good. They should be rich. Now, Maybe you say, well, I, I don't have any. Uh, you, know, you know, I'm just, you know, I, I have no money to give. I have no money to do anything good. Even if you have no money to do, which probably isn't true, but even if you don't. He goes on to say this. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need. So you have time, you have energy. You can be generous with those things if you have no money, financial stuff. Always be ready to share with others, like my wife shared a meal with Hal, ready to share with others. Um, and then he finishes up with this. By doing this, they, us, will be storing up their treasures as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. You want to really live? Everybody really wants to live, Right? This is the way you do it. <laughs> to be content. To not trust in stuff, but trust in the giver of stuff. So let me give you four ways to do that. How can you and I learn to be content? Try and help you out this morning. Resist comparing myself to others. Why do we do that? It's kind of a natural thing. We compare our cars, we compare our houses, we compare our stuff. You know, I got a bigger TV than you, whatever. All right, we compare. Why do we do that? Well, one reason is because it makes us feel better. If I got a ni- newer, nicer car than you, I must be smarter or easier, better or make more money or, or something. It's, it's, ra- it's rooted in insecurity, right? Why do I need to think I get smarter or I can make more money than you? Not, there's no reason to that, right? God says don't do that. It's foolish to compare. All of you are unique and I made you unique and be happy in the way I made you. So how do you react when your neighbor gets a new car, for example? Are you envious? Are you covetous? I wish I had a new car. Are you, hey, I'm really happy for you. Unfortunately, the way I'm thinking, can they really afford that? Is that a good use of their money? That's the way my money works, mine works. But are you happy for them? You know, I, Deb and I drive around old cars. We're perfectly happy with those. If you get a new car, we're happy for you, Okay. Um, really important. So let me sum this up this way. Hopefully this is easy to remember. Learn to admire. Hey, hey, you got a nice new car. Without having to acquire. I don't have to have a new car to admire yours, be happy for you. I'll be happy with, with mine and vice versa, right? Learn to admire without having to acquire. See, one thing, problem with possessions are they eventually possess you. Most of you know I have two houses, and it's all I can do to keep uh, fixing things that break, all right? I'm always working on these houses, and, and my house isn't even that old, uh, my, my second house. But possessions possess you. They take up time. They take up energy. Uh, We've got to keep thinking about how to fix them, how to insure them, to replace them when things wear out, uh, etc. So what are you willing to sacrifice for your possessions. Are you willing to sacrifice peace of mind? Are you willing to sacrifice relationships? I heard the story about this lady who 
who won the a lottery, $17 million. She calls, calls, calls her house, calls her live-in boyfriend and says, hey, pack your bags. He said, for warm weather or cold weather? He, she said, doesn't matter. Just be gone when I get home. You know, I'm willing to sacrifice this relationship now that I've got $17 million, right? So, uh, resist. Don't, don't do it. The desire to compare. Secondly, be happy with what you have. Be happy with what you had. What does God want? He wants you to be happy with what you have. What do you want for your children? You want them to be happy with what they have. Everything you and I have is a gift from God in reality. If it wasn't for God, you, none of us would have anything that we have. So we certainly should be happy for what we have, not unhappy for what we don't have. Sometimes we fall in this, this um, when and then thinking. When I get out of school, then I'll be happy. When I get a job, then I'll be happy. When I get a girlfriend, a boyfriend, I'll be happy. When I get married, I'll be happy. When I have kids, I'll be happy. When the kids grow up and leave the house, I'll be happy. That was mine, okay? When the kids get out of the house. <laughs> no. Uh, we shouldn't live that way. My response to you, if, 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 if you're thinking that way, is no, you won't. No, you won't. The reality is you and I are as happy as we want to be. That, that's the truth. I know that life is tough, but you and I are as happy as we want to be. What are you waiting for to be happy? What are you waiting for to be content? There's an actual myth. The myth is this. Having more will make me happier. Maybe for a short period of time. But having more doesn't make you happy. Or you'd be happy with the more you already have. Does that make sense? <laughs> So be happy with what you have. Thirdly, use what you have to help others. Why does God give you all the stuff you have? Just for you to hold on to it? No. He wants you to share it with others. Um, there's a real joy in that. And uh, it's hard to fight materialism in our world. I, I realize that. But here's four things that can help. First, be humble. Just because you got more stuff than somebody else, don't think you're better than somebody else. Okay, God's blessed you for some reason, but don't feel like you're better than somebody else. Secondly, don't put trust in that. Our trust is supposed to be in God, not in stuff, right? Other stuff's not reliable anyway. Thirdly, do good with it. Figure out some way to do good with the stuff you have. And fourthly, obviously, is to give it some of it away. Right? I think Dave Ramsey said this way. If you hold on to what you have... You'll keep what you have, but you can't get anything else back in there, can you? When you open it and let it go out, other stuff can come in. So giving, put that up, giving breaks the grip of materialism. If you struggle with materialism, start giving stuff away. Reminds me of the story. A guy dies and goes to heaven. St. Peter is at the Golden Gates greeting him. He says, hey, welcome. And he says, oh, it's great to be here. And then he says, hey, he's looking around. He sees his neighbor uh, former neighbor, I guess, ride by in a Mercedes. They say, what's the deal with that? He said, well, in heaven, your transportation is based on how generous you were on earth. And, and your neighbor's really a generous guy, so he's driving around in a Mercedes. And this guy's getting excited. He says, okay, what do I get? He said, well, you weren't as generous as him. You get a moped. 
So he's really bummed out about riding around in a moped until about two weeks later, his pastor arrives and he gets a pair of roller skates. So hopefully I'll do better than that when I get to heaven. But uh, it's based on generosity. Jesus said, you're, you're more blessed or you're happier giving than receiving. Do you really believe that? It's a sign of maturity. You know, it's a great, when you, when you, as a parent, when you, as a dad and as a parent, when you see your kids grow up and, you know, they're excited about Christmas when they're three years old, but when they get older and they're excited about giving gifts. And even as little children, they understand the joy of giving, don't they? If you're a father, you get cool t-shirts like this, right? And they enjoy giving you those things. And, you know, a little child will pick a flower and bring it to his mom or, or her mom. Um, so we understand there is more happiness in giving than receiving. And then lastly, refocus on what's going to last. What's going to, what is going to last? Now this stuff's going to last, right? Just people. People, relationships, values, they're going to last. One of the biggest issues with discontentment is it clouds our vision of God. It clouds our vision of what's really important. Jesus told a story about this guy had all this... This farmer was really successful and his stuff wouldn't fit in a barn. He's thinking, okay, what can I do? I'll build bigger barns. Anyway, he dies that night and Jesus calls the guy what? A fool. A fool. Not very complimentary, but, you know, when we focus on things of less importance instead of things that are greater importance, it's foolish, right? So what do you, where are your values? What do you value? In fact, you can ask yourself this question periodically. Re-examine your life and ask this question. What am I really living for? Is it bigger and better stuff? More stuff? Or is there something else to live for? True happiness doesn't come from stuff. No matter how much advertisers might want us to think that. True happiness comes from finding your purpose, your place in life. And if you're a parent, it's being a parent's part of that, right? Um, finding your purpose. So... Examine, re-examine your life and say, what am I really living for? Hopefully it's not stuff. That's not a really good purpose. Not a very fulfilling purpose. Not a very satisfying purpose. What are your priorities? And I would just encourage you, it is possible to be content. But <laughs> we are almost commanded, probably are commanded to be content. In fact, it's pretty... Um, ungrateful to be discontented, right? Again, we just like your kids saying, hey, you give me all this stuff, mom and dad, but I'm not happy because I don't have some other stuff. So again, I want to remind you what I said earlier. Maybe it's something you can put in the back of your brain and remember. Learn to admire without having to acquire because that will bring true contentment. Glad you're here this morning. Hopefully you'll stay this afternoon and, and join us again next week. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. We thank you that you are a generous God, a gracious God, and we have more than we need. But we struggle with wanting bigger, bigger and better stuff. And uh, it's, not, it's okay to have nice stuff as long as we are generous people, sharing with those in need that we're responsible for what we have. Thank you. Give us that stuff to enjoy. So God, I, I pray for contentment for all of us. That we can be happy for other people's successes. And I uh, pray for anyone here that's not a Jesus follower that 
You might have a desire. Um, uh, there's so much value in being a Jesus follower and the, and the peace of mind and comfort and the contentment and the other things that come from trusting in God instead of ourselves or our stuff. And so we pray that you would too would step across that line, accept God's gracious gift of a personal relationship with him through Jesus who loved us enough to die for us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. If you've got questions, you've made any kind of decision, you've got your connection card to, uh, we'll collect those in a minute. Uh, let us know what's going on. Be glad to talk to you. Thank you.